Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is January the 29th, 2021. And uh, here we go. Buckle up. Uh, It's been a hell of a week, and I guess there's many more in store. But wherever you are and in your personal lives, I hope all is going well. And it's really important to focus on that. Because when you come down to it, we have to take care of ourselves, our families, and uh, so that then we are able to address the issues that have such a profound impact on our country and our fellow Americans. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like being on an airplane. They tell you that if the oxygen mask drops down, to make sure to put yours on first so that you're then in the position to help others and so that you can become part of the solution and not tragically part of the problem. So, Remember, first and foremost, take care of yourselves, take care of the people close to you. And the immigration issue is a great example of how we can be good parents, good grandparents, aunts, uncles, uh, and stewards of our country by busting the myths and the lies that we have been spoon-fed for decades about the true nature and the true importance of immigration. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Joe Biden, with his magic pen, which I guess was passed to him by Mr. Obama, and the magic phone, which I guess also was Mr. Obama's in the prior years. Um, And he's now issuing a blizzard of executive orders. And, and, you know, it's amazing. I mean, we know Joe was a decades-long track record of plagiarism, steals lines, words, concepts. If it ain't nailed down, he's probably going to take it and claim it's his own called plagiarism but i remember obama being asked about why can't you do something about immigration and he said i'm not a dictator we live in a democracy and we have to get congress to go along and then a year later he issued the executive order about daca deferred action childhood arrivals the whole thing was a sham and a scam um maybe i should even address why it was so that we hear so much about it because what i want to do is to give you folks the information, the knowledge, the power, if you will, the ammunition, the ammunition, so that when you engage in conversations with people who may not agree with you, you know how to approach the issue, not to be a con artist or a swindler like we see on the other side. I just want to give you the facts. Knowledge is power. I want to empower you. DACA to give you a little bit of history, and then I want to talk about where we are now, where we're going, and why uh, we need to wake up to reality. But for years, Congress tried to ram through something known as comprehensive immigration reform. And to this very day, every time politicians get interviewed by the media, we always hear, you know, what are we going to do about comprehensive immigration reform? When are we going to get this passed? When will they finally do it? Why do they do what? Comprehensive immigration reform. And I'm not going to go down to the rabbit hole. Well, we're going to call it an amnesty. Well, it is an amnesty. But maybe amnesties are a good thing. 
maybe they're not. So let's get away from slogans and deal with what the facts actually are. I'm so tired of the slogans, and I'm so tired of people with narrow minds, closed minds. They want a magic bullet. And I see it all the time in the comments um, that I receive to my articles over at Front Page Magazine. And they're great people. Don't misunderstand that people miss the point. Someone for my latest article, and I hope that after the podcast, after you listen to my program, whether live or podcast, go to Front Page Magazine. Check out my latest article. Biden orders the end of the construction of the U.S.-Mexican border wall. The subtitle, one of, the many, one of many executive orders to reverse Trump's successful immigration policies. And, and somebody said, you don't need a wall. All you need is mandatory E-Verify. If we had mandatory E-Verify, the aliens would deport themselves. If you're not familiar with mandatory E-Verify, it's a system that now exists, E-Verify, where employers can punch a name into a database and find out if the person who works for them is legitimately entitled to work. I think it should be made mandatory, E-Verify. <clears throat> it's not mandatory. It's a good tool. There's still ways of beating that system. Look, as my dad said to me, locks on doors are only for honest people. Sooner or later, people will find ways of defeating the strongest lock. It's just a matter of time. In fact, every lock you can buy has something known as defeat time. How long a, a, a talented locksmith would need to defeat the lock? So if it's a lock on your locker at the gym, you could probably defeat it in 15 or 20 seconds if you know what you're doing, maybe a minute. The, 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 the locks on the vault of a safe might take hours, maybe longer. But every single lock can ultimately be defeated. That's just reality. Any database can ultimately be hacked. You know, it's just reality. The idea that mandatory E-Verify is going to solve the problem, the magic bullet. Everyone wants a magic bullet. I don't want to be bothered with all the details. Just, just, what do we have to do? Just give it to me quick. Ten words or less. E-Verify. Great. Wall on the border. Great. Problem solved. Let's move on to something else. It doesn't work that way. Immigration is a system. And, and, and so let's start with E-Verify. Do you really think if you made E-Verify mandatory that some employers wouldn't try to game that system? Do you think illegal aliens might not commit identity theft to game that system? And let's say for argument's sake, just for the sake of argument, that E-Verify is bulletproof. Somehow they've come up with, with a scheme where mandatory E-Verify has 100% effectiveness. Do you think that illegal aliens at that point are going to flee from the United States because they can't get jobs? You're going to have employers who are going to violate the law. You see it with tax, right? How many times do you see people think that they're smart enough to outfox the IRS and then they go to jail? I guarantee you that with a lack of agents to go after employers, making E-Verify mandatory, many employers are still not going to do it. We have 2,000 ICE agents effectively for the whole country, 2,000, 6,000 altogether, but most of the time they're doing work that has nothing to do with immigration. And that's because George W. Bush didn't want the immigration laws enforced even after 9-11, even after it was clear that the terror attacks of 9-11 and other attacks were only possible, only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system, you would have thought that when he created the Department of Homeland Security, he would have said, let's finally do it. Of course not. What he did was to undermine immigration law enforcement completely. He cut immigration in half. 
uh, or actually into three pieces or more, and he took what was enforcement that should have been unified and split it in half, which created all kinds of headaches and problems. You have third agency rules. I'm not going to get into all of it. But basically, W. Bush, when he created the Department of Homeland Security, first of all, violated the Homeland Security Act, which was the enabling legislation, and then he nuked it. He blew it up and made damn sure that the immigration laws could not be enforced. President of the United States. When I talk about that to my conservative friends, and they are my friends, we, we can be friends, we should be friends with people who disagree. It makes things interesting. Could you imagine sitting around the table and saying to somebody, I hate Joe Biden, and everyone nods in agreement. I hate Joe Biden. I think Donald Trump was great. I think Donald Trump was Why bother having dinner? Why bother having a conversation? What's fun is when people disagree and you can debate the issues. I was on the debating teams in high school and college, never defeated, and I was going to teach debate. But today, you're either with me or you're against me. We've become so tribal and so balkanized, it defies belief, and it runs contrary to our nature as Americans. It runs contrary to the First Amendment. Big secret, you're allowed to disagree. Really, I encourage you to disagree, not for the sake of being a pain in the ass, but because we're entitled to disagree. We're Americans. Now, the lunatic left wants to take that from us, but that's something we must never allow them to cancel is the First Amendment. Because without the First Amendment, there is no freedom. There is no democracy. We have no republic. But the idea that we're going to somehow have this magic bullet and, 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 and George W. Bush knew what needed to be done and eradicated everything, even put people into positions in immigration who knew nothing about immigration, was wild. John Hosta, the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, called him out numerous times. I testified for John many times because he was so angry and frustrated that the president of the United States after 9-11 really did a number on immigration enforcement. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. And the fact the way that host referred to it, he said that Bush, well, he didn't use the word Bush, the administration, but Bush was the administration at the time. The administration created immigration incoherence. Okay. And when I talked to my conservative friends, they said to me, oh, well, wait a minute, Mike. George W. Bush, he was a neocon, right? He really wasn't a Republican. He was a neocon. Um, he was a, um, what's the other term, Republican in name only, a rhino. Folks. He was the president of the United States. He was the leader of the Republican Party. This excuse falls flat on its face. You can hear the thud. He was the leader of the Republican Party. Paul Ryan, another neocon, right? John Boehner, another neocon. John McCain, another. What are we talking about? If we don't recognize the flaws within the parties and the politicians, we're never going to solve the problem. The Republican Party loves loves, adores, fantasizes about cheap labor for their corporate friends. It used to be that the Democrats used to stand up for American workers, and they created the firewall against that because they knew it would destroy wages and jobs for Americans if you flooded America with foreign workers. They were dead set against it. Bernie Sanders came out in 06, 07, railing against those who hire illegal aliens. Those people should go to jail. You're destroying jobs and wages. You're killing the middle class. It's un-American. Bernie Sanders. And then, you know, whammo, they flipped. Now everyone is out to get who? (laughs) Middle class Americans. And if you're white, then you have white privilege, so you're totally screwed. 
Um, and by the way, if the Black Caucus is really concerned about the plight of black kids living in, in tough neighborhoods ridden with crime and drugs, why would you want to flood America with cheap labor so these kids never get out of poverty? Are you really looking out for the interests of the people you claim you're most concerned about? It's America's minorities that suffer the worst from the illegal immigrants, illegal aliens, actually. And it's everybody who suffers when we allow a torrent, a flood of high-tech workers to come into America and take the jobs uh, from Americans who have college educations and many years of experience and training. Americans are getting shafted, left, right, and center. Boom. If you're an American, you're screwed. And you have luminaries like Ted Cruz running around saying, for America to lead, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest. Yes, we should bring in the truly uniquely talented people. I agree, because immediately you hear, well, you wouldn't bring in Elon Musk. You wouldn't bring in Albert Einstein. Of course I would. But when you're bringing in hundreds of thousands of foreign workers from India every year and more aliens from another country, what are you doing? So, so here's my question. What is America? Now, that's a fundamental question. Well, don't tell me it's a country. Don't be a wise ass. Of course it's a country. But what does America consist of most significantly? That's the question I want to ask you. So let's see. Is it the interstate highway system? Is it our national parks? Is it our lakes and rivers and restaurants and shopping malls and theaters and baseball stadiums and museums and schools? Uh, is that what America is? Maybe. Mountains. How about mountains? Okay. I have a better idea. How about the American people? The American people. Are the American people leading when they're being fired and displaced by foreign workers? That's my question for the hour. Is that how America leads? By screwing over its own citizens and dashing their hopes and, and crushing the American dream for them? while we cynically refer to illegal aliens as dreamers? By the way, the A in dreamer is alien. Don't you dare say the word alien anywhere else. They'll come for you. They will. But when you say dreamer, oh, that's cool. The American dream. That's what these kids are here for. Never mind that the American kids who were born here are getting knifed in the back by their own government. So, really, what is America? Because, you know, there's a wonderful song. The House I Live In, that Sinatra, that other singers have done it, but I'm a Sinatra fan. And there's a great line in that, in that great song. You should listen to it after my program. What is America to me? And I won't try to sing. I used to make a lot of money with my singing. You may not believe it, but I did. People paid me a ton of money to not sing. I have a terrible voice. I can't carry a tune in a handbasket. But the line that he has is, most of all, America is its people. That's America to me. So when the American people are being fired left, right, and center, when Americans can't get into an emergency room because we flooded the country with illegal aliens who need medical care for free, when American schools are overwhelmed by kids who can't speak, write, or read English, by the way, the Congressional Budget Office did a study about 15 years ago and found that it costs 20 to 40% more to educate kids who aren't English proficient. So with all this going on that has this huge adverse impact on Americans and American children and their future in our country, what's this talk about America leading? How wonderful. How wonderful. Are you serious? Americans are losing their jobs. 
COVID, of course, exacerbated it exponentially. But when I hear this garbage for America to leave, and when I was with uh, Ted Cruz, he, he got really nuts. He actually wound up pushing me. It almost got very ugly. Because they said, Senator, I agree, we've got to secure the borders, and it's not just the Mexican border, and that's what we're going to focus on in a moment, that border wall. But I said, immigration is a lot more than the Mexican border. And when you talk about bringing in the world's best and brightest, I said, I'm a New Yorker, and where I come from, we have a term for the world's best and brightest. I said, Senator, in New York, we call them Americans. And you would have thought that I took a hot branding iron and shoved it up... um, you know what, where the sun doesn't shine. He was furious. So what are we really talking about? Look what just happened with the stock market, right? Trump was right. The system is rigged. Whether you like Trump or not, I don't care. It's your decision, not mine. The system is rigged. And you have these politicians for America to lead. How about Americans? If you don't think Americans have the ability to take all those high-tech jobs, and what's the solution? Get on the horn with India? Or make damn sure that American kids get a world-class education right here in these United States of America? Think about that. The armed forces are supposed to protect Americans. And we get into trouble when they start going around the world nation-building and ignoring the fact that their primary mission is supposed to be to protect Americans. Many countries, in fact, refer to their military as their defense forces, right? The self-defense forces, whether it's Japan, whether it's Israel. Israel, they call it the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. It's about defending the country. That's what it's supposed to be about. So think about that. Think about that. So we have this nonsense that we're being shamed. We're finding that our compassion has become weaponized. What kind of a person are you? There's hungry people all over the world. My mother used to say, we finish your dinner, there are people starving in Europe. I had no idea how my finishing my supper was going to help a kid in Europe. But boy, oh boy, most of us heard that sort of stuff from our parents back then. Finish your dinner, there are hungry kids all over the world. Okay, why don't we mail it to them? I don't like my supper. Can I mail it to somebody? Uh, but all joking aside, what kind of person are you? Don't you feel bad for these people who are here illegally? And you know what? I do. And I arrested many of them as an agent. I never thought of them as my enemy. I felt bad for many of them. But America has limited resources. If you were going to throw a party, and I've made this analogy numerous times, you start to come up with a list of all the people you'd like to invite, and then you say, well, my house isn't that big enough, and my wallet isn't that fat. So I can't invite 45 people. I can only invite 20 people. And you start crossing people off the list. How do I cut this list in half, roughly? Now, the people you're taking off the list aren't people you hate. They were on the list to begin with. It's just the same as what Clint Eastwood said. A man's got to know his limitations, or a woman. You have to know your limitations. Countries have to know their limitations. Before COVID, we were bringing in about a million-plus immigrants every year, giving them green cards, putting them on the path to citizenship. We don't have jobs for Americans. Hospitals are overwhelmed. We don't have enough vaccine. And when you walk into an emergency room, it's first come, first served. So by flooding America with an unlimited number of foreign nationals, 
aliens, if you will. The term alien is a legal term. It simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. No insult there, just clarity. And con artists are practitioners of, of you know, politicians are practitioners of con artistry. Let's be honest who they are. They're magicians. Right? Instead of blue smoke and mirrors, it's the sneaky language. You know, they're wordsmiths. So why does the media never ask a politician, we're going to legalize all these aliens, right? Uh, how does that help Americans? When was the last time you heard a, general, a, a journalist, so-called, even ask Donald Trump that question? Every damn time a politician gets up and says, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, the first question they should be asked, I don't care what the damn topic is, okay? Why should that make the average American happy? Does this improve the situation for Americans? We never hear that question. We hear what's fair. Um, Inside story, I won't tell you who the person was, but very often I am asked by people running for Congress or the Senate or city council or wherever, can you help me out because immigration is a big deal. I was talking to this young lady who was running against a sitting member of the House of Representatives, and I said, you know, you really need to hammer immigration. And she said, well, wait a minute, Mike. I, I understand that's an issue that's close to your heart. But, you know, this is a, an emotional issue. And eh, we've got to be very careful about this because I'm going to upset people with that, with that issue. And I said, just, just a second. Is immigration an emotional issue? You're damn right it is. Why are you afraid of it? Well, because it's an emotional issue. I said, but the emotions ought to be on the side of the Americans. And that started an interesting conversation. And here's my point. Are you not emotional when people are killed by members of gangs? By the way, most of the people who are killed by gangs, and it's not just from Latin America because human nature is universal. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care what language you speak. If you get stabbed, you're going to bleed blood, and your blood, I promise you, is going to be red. I don't care where you're from. We all have red blood. I don't care where you're from. All people, all groups have the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some of the most altruistic and brilliant people can be found everywhere in the world, and some of the most evil sociopathic villains can be found all over the world. This human nature is a constant, right? So who gets killed most frequently by transnational criminals? The answer is the people who live within the ethnic immigrant communities who live with these people because that's where they come, that's where they live, that's where they eat, that's where they, they pursue their criminal careers for the most part. So how is it pro-immigrant to want immigration anarchy? Look how the news media defines it. If you want open borders, total amnesty, and sanctuary cities, you're rewarded by being referred to as a pro-immigrant advocate. Wow. And if you take my position that the immigration laws must be enforced fairly but effectively, you're anti-immigrant. Wait a minute. How can I be anti-immigrant when those very same laws that I support enable more than a million people to come to America every year and get green cards? How is that anti-immigrant? Giving green cards to people is the epitome of being pro-immigrant, isn't it? Protecting innocent lives especially within the immigrant community, is the epitome of being pro-immigrant. 
But I don't care what network you turn to. It could include Fox very often, pro-immigrant, anti-immigrant. If you want immigration, anarchy, no border security, amnesty, um, legalization programs for $100 million, which is what Biden's looking at, which would destroy us because of the numbers, not because they're, quote, foreigners and xenophobic. There's too many damn people at the dinner table. I will be labeled consistently as anti-immigrant. The Anti-Defamation League wrote a piece about me and said I was anti-immigrant. I spent a year as an adjudications officer approving and denying applications for green cards based on whether or not the people that came in were actually living together as husband and wife, which is what the law required. I was ecstatic to approve applications. I could tell you some very funny stories that I had um, during that period of time. There's not enough time on my program, but it was an enjoyable job, especially when I could approve applications. And it also taught me how to ask questions effectively and do good interviews. You know, you don't become an agent when you come out of the academy, just like a doctor out of a medical school first has to go through internship and residency and so forth. But it was a great training ground for me to learn how to really work at my ability to ask effective questions in the right way at the right time. But I was happy to approve applications. We all were. So how is that anti-immigrant when there I was handing out green cards after it was decided that the people met the requirement that the law established to be granted lawful immigrant status. But to this day, I'm identified as anti-immigrant, evil cutler. Nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And Donald Trump got it right. His language was terrible. He didn't know how to explain what he was doing to save himself. I believe it contributed heavily to what happened on Election Day. Words matter. And when you have conversations with your neighbors, I'm going to remind you, it's not, as my mother would say, not what you say, but how you say it. She said, you know, Mike, you could go up to somebody and say, I love you, and get your teeth knocked out. Or you could say to somebody, screw you, but if you say it the right way, they'll kiss you on the lips. She said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And that's really critical. And we have to have the conviction of our beliefs to stand up to the bullies, because they're the bullies. We're going to protect you from the bullies. We're the leftists. Yeah, sure thing. They, they are the bullies. You have to learn to defend yourself and to defend your position. There's nothing anti-immigrant about enforcing immigration laws that are designed to keep out aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or mental illness, aliens who are criminals, aliens who are spies and terrorists and human traffickers and drug smugglers, aliens who would take American jobs, Nothing wrong with that. That's how you protect your citizens. We pay taxes for police. We pay taxes for the military. What service is being rendered to us if we're not being protected? And this isn't a statement of xenophobia. Don't let anybody kid you. I've arrested people wanted for murder in Israel as well as England as well as elsewhere. Was I being racist? No. I don't care what flavor you are. This isn't Baskin Robbins. What I care is whether or not you are abiding by the law. And if you weren't abiding, abiding by the law, I would arrest you. That's what being a law enforcement officer means. You enforce the laws. And by the time I got explaining to this young lady what the situation was, she said, wow, this is a winning issue. Unfortunately, she didn't win the election, but that's the problem when you have people who have so-called safe seats 
and the opposition party won't invest the kind of money that they should in an opponent to somebody in a safe seat, which has finally caused me to reverse my position on term limits. I always used to be opposed to them. I now support term limits. Not because we don't get rid of them, but because the party system is such that if someone has what's seen as a safe seat, the person running in opposition isn't going to get the funding that they need to be able to win. That's, that's the issue, folks. That's really what the issue is. We have to be able to understand what we're actually dealing with. Um, I see I've got a call out of curiosity. Let's see who we have here. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. My Hello, name you're is on with Matthew. Michael Tyler. Uh, yes, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill, and I'm, I am the number one hey, ranked editor for org. Yes, my name is Matthew O'Neill. I'm the number one ranked editor for Everpedia.org. Everpedia is an internet encyclopedia set run for profit out of Santa Monica, California. I'm also a registered Republican. I voted Republican the last eight years, including Mitt Romney and Donald Trump twice. The reason for okay. the call is... And, and you, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, I'm yes, the, okay, the, the reason for the call is um, I just want to chime in and say that I think that President, former President Trump did indeed win the states of Georgia and did indeed win the states of Pennsylvania, that he lost Pennsylvania thanks to a fraudulent mail ballot, and I think that he won Georgia outright. Um, I do believe that Joseph Biden will do a good job as the president, and the, the election is over with. And I definitely don't condone the actions of the Capitol Hill rioters. I think it was wrong for what they did. But I just want to think that over the next four years, hopefully the people that are in power can make slight adjustments to the elections process to make sure that that that, that it never happens again. Okay. Did you have a question or is that it? Also, yeah, uh, the, the company is called Everpedia.org. My name is Matthew E. O'Neill. Yeah, besides that, besides, besides, stop, stop. You, you've plugged yourself. Do you have a question for me? Okay, uh, Mike, so you're, you're involved with uh, – uh, I'm, I'm new to your show. I've listened to your show one time before, and it's, it's a pretty impressive okay. program. Um, as far as the Mexican border wall, uh, do you think, you think it's, a, it's a bad idea to do the wall, or do you think that it was a good idea? What's your personal opinion of, of the wall that they created? Sure. Well, I, in fact, I'm, I'm going to be getting into that, and I thank you for your question. I hope you'll, you'll stand by and listen to my response. But, you know, you know my background. I was with the INS for 30 years, and I've done a bunch of hearings on this. The wall by itself doesn't solve the problem, but it has to be a, an element of a coordinated system. Of course we need the wall. And I, I really, I'm not optimistic that Biden is going to do the right thing by all the statements that he's made with, about immigration. Let me ask you a question before – um, I, I, I go back to what I was talking about. If Joe Biden gets his way and he legalizes what he claims will be 11 million illegal aliens, most universities believe there's at least 25 million illegals in the country. I think the numbers are even considerably higher. But how many people do you think will ultimately get green cards, lawful immigrant status, if Joe Biden convinces Congress to enact comprehensive immigration reform? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are going to be. So be well, let me, let me, let me tell you something. 
the, the numbers are so low, and it was the same thing that we had, the same con game was played on us with Reagan with his amnesty. Uh, I was an agent back then. We got a briefing from headquarters, and they said, oh, this will involve about a million. We wound up with nearly four million. But that number was a lie also, because what is always left out is that as soon as an alien is granted lawful status, and I agree with this philosophically, but they can then bring in their spouses and every single one of their minor children for permanent residence. So let's be optimistic, and let's presume that each illegal alien will bring in just four children each, which I think is a very optimistic number, because some of these folks may well have kids with more than one woman, Okay, and you could have 10 or 15 from one person and maybe zero from another. So I'm, I'm coming up with a round figure and an optimistic figure. How much is four times 25 million, which is, I think, a more reasonable, um, accurate number about how many people would participate in the amnesty? What's four times 25 million? That's, that's 100 million. Yeah, that's what we're looking at. There is no okay, way yeah, that forget. America could survive that. I don't care where they're from. I don't care if they're all Europeans. I don't care if they all speak English. This isn't about race or religion. It's sheer numbers, okay? If you're in a lifeboat, it doesn't matter who comes onto that lifeboat that capsizes it. Think about all those people requiring education, food, water, electricity, sewerage, housing, transportation, health care. As they grow up, they're going to join the labor pool. So you're looking at adding 100 million workers into a labor pool that's overflowing right now, especially because of COVID and how many businesses that have permanently shut down. There is no way that this is, to use uh, the Democrats' favorite term, there is no way this is sustainable. And this is an issue that I had wished that Donald Trump had approached. Uh, I thought one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard in a, in a debate anywhere, going back to when I began debating in high school, was when Donald Trump asked Joe Biden if he could say law enforcement. I, I wasn't sure where we're going with that. What we really needed to hear from Donald Trump was him asking Joe Biden one simple question. Joe, have you bothered to read the 9-11 Commission report? I provided testimony to the commission that immigration was the number one, the number two, the number three, and the number four issue for the reason that not only 9-11 terror attacks occurred, but they look back 10 years, and almost each and every t attack involving foreign nationals was only able to be carried out because of multiple failures of the immigration system. So when you're talking about an influx of 100 million, there's going to be zero interviews. You cannot interview 100 million. You can't interview 25 million. The DACA kids were not interviewed, Okay. There is absolutely no way you're going to do meaningful field investigations. Fraud will go through yeah. the roof, okay? And immigration fraud was the key vulnerability that terrorists have been exploiting and continue to exploit, lying about political asylum. Look at the Tsarnaev brothers. Look at the, um, um, the bomber at Times Square, Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber. They all lied. They concealed their involvement with terrorism. They lied about identities. They lied about claims for political asylum. And then they carried out deadly terrorist attacks. So when you yes, look yes. at Biden's stand on immigration by itself, we're screwed, basically. Yes, I'd like to also say, yes, my name is Matthew O'Neill. In my amateur boxing career, which was accredited and sanctioned by USA Boxing, was covered by the United Kingdom-based company Into Boxing in 2020. Okay. 
I've answered your question. We're going to move on. Thank you for your call. Okay, well, thanks. Going back to what I was saying, it's amazing. Some people come on and it's, you know, can I have free commercial airtime? Okay, I'll, I'll play along to a limit, to a point. Um, but, but this is the issue, answering that gentleman's comments. When Joe Biden says we're going to take down the border wall or at least stop building it, I want to know why. What harm does the border wall do to Americans or even to the legal immigration system? It does no harm. The lies that we keep hearing about the border wall are off the charts. For example, we keep hearing it's a wall of hate. And I wrote about it for my article. I really hope after the program everybody will read the article. If you like the article, please forward it to everybody. We need to have a national conversation before Congress goes off the rails and does something irrevocable. Because national security and the lives and livelihoods of Americans are hanging in the balance. And I don't want to overstate it, but that's where we are. In fact, if you look at the article, if you read through the article at the very end, I quoted an expert witness at a hearing about Iranian terrorists operating in Latin America, and this hearing was held a couple of years ago. Nobody at the hearing disagreed with the witness. Sometimes when you testify before Congress, and I've been there, you'll have witnesses disagree with you. And the witness will say, well, I disagree with Mr. Cutler because, and we have a back and forth. Nobody disagreed. We know that Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization funded and controlled by the Iranian regime, is operating throughout Latin America, working with human traffickers and drug smugglers to bring narcotics and people into the United States. That's how serious the problem is. Now, of course, the Mexican border isn't the only way of coming to America. I always want to make the point that we're a country of 50 border states. Any state that lies on the northern border is a border state. Any state that has access to the uh, coastlines of the United States that includes the Gulf Coast as well as the Atlantic and Pacific border states. Um, any state that has an international airport, most of the terrorists have come here through, on, on airplanes. But the point is it's still a major element. I, I compare the border wall to a wing on an airplane. Without the wing, the airplane doesn't fly, but a wing by itself goes nowhere. So that's the critical issue. So if you erect a wall that helps to keep people from entering the United States without inspection, that's a good thing. But it doesn't block people from coming here. It just makes sure that they go through that inspections process to make sure that they're not criminals, to make sure that they don't have a disease. And isn't it remarkable, by the way, by the way, that Joe Biden and uh, Andrew Cuomo, expert on coronavirus, I, I couldn't believe the nonsense he was spewing today on television. Wow. Uh, I really hope they dig deep into what he did, because I believe he's culpable for what happened, but that's my opinion. Uh, I mean, this is outrageous. But all of them are now saying, oh, no, no, don't let anybody in from England. Don't let anybody in from South Africa. Don't let anybody in from Brazil, because they have a new variant of this coronavirus, and we don't want people to die. Really? So... The same Cuomo who called immigration agents thugs, which I just loved. I'm no longer an agent, but I always will be, if you understand my point. that It was my life's work. I know many great people that I worked with over there. So you're telling the American people we're going to block people from coming here from other countries because they might have diseases. Well, folks, that's the mission of immigration. 
Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, enumerates the categories of aliens who are to be kept out of the country. And the very first item on the list, aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Immigration has that authority. So the people that call immigration agents thugs want us to keep out people from England. But what happens to people run the border and we have no idea they're even here? How do you screen those people? How do you make sure they don't have dangerous diseases? And we've seen other diseases coming across the border, tropical diseases. Uh, one disease in particular, very disturbing, mimics polio, creating sometimes temporary, hopefully temporary, but in some cases it would appear permanent paralysis in children. So why in the world could you, or how in the world could you say we've got to keep out people from certain countries because they might have the coronavirus, but let's not enforce the immigration laws? This goes beyond schizophrenic, folks. It goes well beyond schizophrenic. This is ridiculous. It's an absurdity. This is why you need to enforce the immigration laws. And once people are here, if they need hospitalization, even if it's not because they have COVID, but because they have a heart attack or they have an accident or they have a stroke, the emergency rooms at hospitals in this country are overflowing. They lack the resources. So what winds up happening is people get into an emergency room. Other people cannot. It's a first-come, first-served basis. We do not give preference to Americans. You could be costing Americans and other people their lives by overwhelming the medical system. This is crazy. This is an act of national suicide. And people need to have the guts to stand up and say this is crazy. Why in the world would you flood America with all these folks? We don't have enough jobs. Our school system is in chaos. We have a... (laughs) an economic system that's in meltdown, a national debt that's through the roof, and you have Democrats saying, let's give COVID assistance to illegal aliens. And I want you to think about this one, because I really think that lawyers ought to get involved in this butte. We ought to be giving money to people who shouldn't be here working, because if they have COVID, they're not working. Well, they're not supposed to be working, folks. And we have laws in our country whereby we take your assets if you earn them by violating the law. If you are a money launderer and we uncover it as agents, and we did these cases all the time, I spent half my career up at DEA and the FBI and ATF working on narcotics investigations, big-scale narcotics, this is asset forfeiture. If the guy made money or the gal made money selling drugs or laundering drug money or selling firearms, we would take their bank books and their jewelry, and their boats, and their cars, and their houses. It's called asset forfeiture, ill-gotten. Now, when illegal aliens work in the United States, they're earning money by violating our laws. Now, I'm certainly not going to say, let's take the money from the illegals who are working illegally. They're, they're barely making you know, sustenance. I feel bad for them. We used to make sure that they got paid, and very often, Their employers would try to swindle them out of their paychecks. We had ranches down in Texas. The Border Patrol told us these stories when I went to Border Patrol Academy. That's where all immigration agents used to train when they hired on. 1972, I went to the Border Patrol Academy in Los Fresnos, Texas. But there were a couple of huge ranches, and they would call the Border Patrol a week after the crops were picked. Why? Because then they would try to not have to pay them. And three-quarters of their workers were illegal aliens, so they basically were hoping to get free labor, called slavery, okay? 
There's a lot of disgusting things I encountered as an immigration agent. But aside from whether or not we should allow illegal aliens who earn money by violating our laws to keep the money, in other countries, by the way, they don't. I, I remember, and I, I didn't ever really check it out. I probably should, but allegedly in France, if you're an illegal alien, the French government seizes your bank book, and they allow you to take just the suit you're wearing, and they confiscate everything else because you shouldn't have been there working. Ill-gotten money. But if you want to talk about equal protection under the law, I personally think that lawyers who are defending clients who engage in criminal activity should be arguing that if you're going to give money to people who are here illegally and shouldn't be working because they can't work, then you ought to call into question this whole notion of asset forfeiture. Why are you taking ill-gotten money from American citizens while giving money to people who shouldn't be here because now they can't work and they shouldn't have been working in the first place? To me, and I'm not a lawyer, don't even play one on TV, but this almost seems to be a violation of this notion of equal justice under the law. They're here illegally, and we're going to give them money for working illegally, and now they can't work illegally, so we're going to help them out. What am I getting wrong, folks? Again, I come back to the fundamental question that I would really like to see reporters ask mayors and governors and presidents and senators and congressmen and city councilmen and dog catchers. Your programs, are they good or bad for the average American? Don't tell me that for America to do well. No, that's the oligarchs, folks. That's Gates and Zuckerberg and, and, and all the rest, you know? The average American, do they do well when we bring in people from India and they displace American workers? Is that how America leads? By screwing Americans into the ground? By destroying their dreams? Destroying their hopes? Disincentivizing college for American kids who know it doesn't matter if they go to college because somebody from India is going to take the job that they've been exquisitely trained for? This BS about America first, no, it needs to be Americans first, U.S. citizens first, you see. Abe Lincoln talked of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The people he was talking about weren't CEOs. They weren't CEOs. It wasn't about Bezos, was it? Bezos, who was all excited because... Every day, more companies are going out of business, driving more business to Amazon. And I got to tell you, I don't understand the people on the conservative side, uh, and I don't—I very rarely agree with Alexandria Casio Cortez, but she was right about Amazon and taxes. Amazon does business, and they do very well, don't they? Why then should they not have to pay taxes? The argument that they create jobs—well, okay, if that's the standard, I can go along with that that if you own a pizzeria or a dry cleaner and you're giving people jobs, then you should not have to pay taxes either if Amazon doesn't pay taxes. Equal under the law, folks. I am tired of these 800-pound gorillas throwing their weight around. We are very much an oligarchy. But unlike prior oligarchies where the wealthy control the economy, these thugs not only control the economy, but they control our ability to communicate with one another. Boy, oh boy, you want to talk about totalitarian? 
This is total control of the economy, of communication. They are the thought police. They are the ministry of truth. This isn't what this country was founded on. I'm tired of this BS, Democrats versus Republicans. It's like watching tag team wrestling when I was a kid. They'd beat the snot out of each other, and you wouldn't see it, but they'd spray ketchup on each other, and you thought, my God, they're killing each other. And what you didn't see was afterwards they sat down for dinner together and had a good laugh at how the the stupid fans thought that they had just killed each other. That's what goes on 90% of the time with those hoopals in Washington and the state capitals and city halls around the country. We're being played for damn fools. Campaign contributions are bribes. Let's use real words. Let's stop this nonsense. I'm glad that people don't use the word political correctness anymore. That's Orwellian. This is all Orwellian newspeak. Campaign contributions, call them what they are, bribes. The politicians are the employees or the people who write the check. Isn't that the employer-employer relationship? You work for a boss, he tells you what to do, you do it, he's happy, he gives you a paycheck. Didn't they just describe how the campaign contribution system works? It's outrageous. And so Biden says, we're going we're to stop building the wall. And we're going to ultimately have an amnesty. And you heard the numbers that I just provided the caller. How would the United States survive the onslaught of 100 million or more immigrants? And don't tell me this is xenophobia. And don't let anyone intimidate you with that nonsense. It's not xenophobia. It's knowing what our limits are. It's knowing what our limits are. You know, you have enough money to buy three pizza pies. Can you invite 200 people over to your house for dinner? Of course you can't. Break it down to something everyone can relate to, and suddenly we're having a very different conversation. When I was in third grade, I started studying astronomy, and right off the bat, the numbers made my head spin. The nearest star to the Earth is the sun, and traveling at the speed of light, it takes light eight and a half minutes to get here. Light travels at 186,300 20 miles per hour in a vacuum. Is that a number you can relate to? Of course not. The next nearest stars are more than four light years away. Think about those distances. You look at Pioneer, the, the Voyager space probe, the furthest one, I think it now takes 13 hours, 13 hours for the radio signal to get from the Earth to the spacecraft and another 13 hours for it to return the signal and, and acknowledge it. And, and, and this is just barely scratching the surface. The universe is billions of years old, and the massive sun makes the Earth look like, like nothing. So you can't really directly relate to those numbers. You know, if I told you I drove to Washington from New York and it took me four hours, you'd say, yeah, it was traveling about 60 or 70 miles an hour. That makes sense. That's right. But when you start talking about traveling at the speed of light and how many miles and how many years, and it's off the chart. So you break it down, you use analogies, you use analogies. So they talk about astronomical units. The distance from the Earth to the sun is one astronomical unit, and then you describe the other planets in terms of how far out they are from the sun. Because these are distances that average people can't relate to. Well, the same thing when you're talking about millions of people. How do you relate to millions of people? You know, um, Joseph Stalin said something. Alan Dershowitz delivered a wonderful speech at a Holocaust memorial service. I'm Jewish. My, my first wife, uh, may she rest in peace, her parents were in the Holocaust. They got tickets to a, a memorial service. Alan Dershowitz was there. It was a privilege to listen to him. I'm a big fan of Alan's. 
And he quoted Stalin, who said that one death is a tragedy, but a million deaths is a statistic. And he said, so whenever there's a mass murder, whether it's a terror attack or the Holocaust or anything of that nature, you always have to multiply the number of victims by the number one. Now, why is that? Because each and every single life that is lost is a separate and distinct murder, a crime, a loss that impacts how many other people. We need to do the same thing with immigration. We need to grow a spine. And we need to be able to say to people with a straight face, look, I feel bad for these people. But, you know, a 19-year-old beauty queen stands there and they say, what are your, what's your platform besides your platform shoes? My platform is to end world hunger. And how are we going to do that? Have a soup kitchen for the world? That doesn't work. We need to understand that the United States has limited resources, but first and foremost, Americans should come first. We all feel bad for homeless people, but you don't give money to charity if your own children went to bed hungry last night. And how many American kids are going to bed hungry at night? Nancy Pelosi standing in front of that blasted freezer of hers. I don't give a damn if she spends $50,000 on the freezer, but what does it tell you about what her feelings are towards the average person? How much contempt can she have in that frigid heart of hers? People watching her with that disgusting display with her you know, designer ice cream at a time when people who may have seen the program had no idea how they were going to feed their children. That's what lit my fuse. I don't give a damn if she chokes on that damn ice cream. Who cares? But how dare you stand in front of your freezer and brag about all this expensive ice cream you have at a time when Americans may not be able to feed their own children. This is what we have for representation. Who the hell is being represented? That's my question, folks. We're going to end border construction to do what? Flood America with millions of more people to do what? Destroy the economy and force all Americans to seek help from the government because the Democrats are best at the handout, so they draw you in? It's kind of like a, a trap, you know? You put a little food on the end of the hook, the fish swims by, grabs for the food, and whammo, he's hooked. That's the strategy we're looking at here. This is all about political power and nothing about what's in the best interest of Americans or their children. It's outrageous. And they have the chutzpah to call that the House of Representatives. It's the House of Prostitution. Who the hell's being represented? That's the question. We're not being represented. When the Speaker of the House, or maybe I should say the big mouth of the House, can stand in front of a freezer with a designer ice cream on a night when people didn't know if they could feed their own damn children. But look at me. I'm having fun with my ice cream. What does it tell you about that evil woman? Did you need to hear any more from her to not know where she's coming from? Talk about chutzpah. Talk about a lack of compassion. That's what we're lacking. Empathy and compassion on the part of our supposed leaders. They could care less if we starve to death. They could care less how many people die of COVID. All they care about is if they can retain power. Even as they're in the twilight of their years, instead of worrying about legacy, how will history remember me? She's so power hungry that all that Pelosi can think about is winning the next election and staying in power. In power for what? To act like the literal wicked, wicked witch of the West? 
And full disclosure, I'm a registered Democrat, but these people aren't Democrats. They sure as hell aren't the Democrats that I signed up with when I first started voting many decades ago, back when I was in college. They're disgraceful, and the Republicans aren't much better, i got to tell you. The American people have got to get involved in politics. We are the employers of of these people. They are our employees. Let's not let them forget it. Maybe the problem is that we forgot it. Who could forget Barbara Boxer sitting there looking at this general and saying, how dare you call me ma'am? You better call me senator. Wow. Wow. Call me senator? I'd call you babs. Self-important, pompous fools that don't care anything about the damage they do to Americans or the American families. All they care about is money and power. I understand the guy that steals a quart of milk and a loaf of bread because he's hungry and has a child to feed. And if I was a cop on the beat, and we've seen these stories, I'd fill up a grocery bag for him and pay for it out of my own pocket because that guy is desperate. So the people that are doing this are billionaires. They flit around the world on their private jets. They have mansions in every continent, and they still need more. And they don't care who they have to hurt to get more. I compare them to a malignancy. Cancer has an insatiable appetite for nutrients, and these thugs have an insatiable appetite for wealth and power. Someone needs to remind them, though, that we are all mortal. And as my mom said to me, we all hang by threads. She told me that as she was dying of cancer at the age of 53 or 54 at the time. We all hang by threads. It puts things in perspective. We're here for a temporary visit. And we should be looking to make things as easy for all of the people around us as we possibly can. That, to me, is what religion should be focused on. That's what our government should be focused on, not consolidating power for the precious few who bought and paid for the government. Because for them, they are getting the best government money can buy. Before Joe Biden and his wrecking crew, as I call his cabinet and his adherents in Congress, wreck irreversible damage on America, not because of xenophobia, but because just do the math, we can't afford the policies that he wants to ram down our throats. Call your your congressional representatives and senators, and I don't care if they're Democrats. Half of them are getting advice from 25-year-old kids that went to these Ivy League schools and were drinking the Kool-Aid with two straws. It's not anti-immigrant to enforce the immigration laws, folks. It's an act of national suicide to not enforce those laws. Please read my article over at frontpagemagazine.com, frontpagemag.com. Forward it to as many people as you can, along with a link to the podcast for my program here at the Michael Cutler Hour. I need you to be part of what I have come to refer to as my bucket brigade of truth. Knowledge is power. Let's empower America. Let's remember one thing, folks. Democracy is not a spectator sport. I thank you for joining me. Please get involved. Please have those conversations with your neighbors. Um, We can turn this around, but that's the work all Americans must do. Have a great weekend. Stay well. Stay safe. See you next week right here at the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now.